It feels really good to be back. It feels really good to be back in this space with you all uh, after two months of um, some really important uh, study and personal growth, but also a chance to just be a stay-at-home kind of domestic dad for two months and do all kinds of stuff with the kids and help around the home. And I'm just so grateful to serve a church that supports its ministers in this time, this sabbatical time. Um, so thank you. Thank, thank all of you. And I, as I wrote in my liberal article uh, this last week, how many of you read those articles? All right, some of you. This is good. We have a little internal like bet in the office about how many people it is. And so the liberal, for those of you who don't know, is our weekly church newsletter, uh, liberal as in liberal religion, not political party affiliation or anything. Um, and so I wrote this article this last week in the liberal saying how excited I was for this theme, this worship theme we're taking on in November, sources of trust, and how this moment we're in just felt like the right moment for us to look at those questions. What is it that we trust? What are the sources we trust? How does our um, faith, where do we look to, to sort of feed our faith and what it is that we can really trust? Uh, because this is, this is a wild and woolly moment we're in right now as a country and really in the world where the very nature of truth and of trust and what is trustworthy is being contested. What is real news is way too often now called fake news. And what is fake news is way too often seen as real and legitimate news. Um, it's a precarious moment that we're in. If you have a phone or have access to the computer, which I imagine most of us do, there's this whole universe out there that you can very quickly get sucked into and without too much work, create a conspiracy theory or spin a story or start to rewrite history or revise history or ignore history or say, this is what's real, even though there are facts and scientific evidence that says otherwise. It's also a place where tempers are out of control and the kindness of a face-to-face, person-to-person interaction is gone. It's a place where trolls run rampant. You know the internet trolls, that's what the troll I'm talking about. Um, And with a click or a like or a retweet or a share, this untruth or this message or this internet noise just gets louder and louder. So I'm thinking a lot about truth and thinking about Um, The costs of this is that this online universe can create stories that are completely unhooked from reality, but many millions of people believe are true. And this goes across party lines, like liberal folks and conservative folks all share a bunch of stuff that's not necessarily true. Do you guys remember the Pizzagate scandal that wasn't? This, this was a story on the internet that basically said there's this DC pizza parlor, this is like a year ago, in DC, where members of high, high members of the Democratic Party are like trafficking children. And somebody went there with a gun, shot the gun off, like in this space, because he'd read this story and thought it was real. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So this theme, sources of truth, and what is true? What do we trust? What are the sources of our faith we can rely on? Well, it feels really timely to me. Emily Dickinson once advised, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. And that's advice I'm going to follow this morning as we talk about truth and the sources we trust. I wanna share little nuggets, little stories that I think are kind of lines or arrows you can follow, but I'm not just gonna dump my version of truth right on your head. So I'm coming at it 
slant. And I invite you to take from it what most deeply speaks to you. And I want to start by sharing a story about trust and about a man named Bruce. I met Bruce in early September at the downtown uh, farmer's market, the Lindale Farmer's Market. I was there with our two boys. It was our first time at the market all season, and we were really excited to get honey sticks and fresh corn and eggplants, just a bunch of stuff you can get at the farmer's market in September. Our very first stop, we just kind of had crossed the street. We were over at the farmer's market was the fresh sweet corn stop. And they also have roasted sweet corn right there, and we were just out of our minds, excited, and I said, we'll take a dozen, we'll take a dozen of those. Seven bucks, said the guy, and he started to bag it up, and I reached for my wallet and patted my front pocket and then patted my other pocket, and then was like, holy buckets, I don't have my wallet with me. Um, and you know the feeling, like maybe it's your purse or your wallet, and all of a sudden, you just feel really naked, you feel really vulnerable. This way in which you access so much of the world via cash or credit card or your ID is just gone. And you're, it's kind of humbling, and you're sort of just there, sort of naked. I said, you know, I'm, I'm really, he finished bagging up the corn, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I don't have my wallet with me, we'll just come back later. And he said, well, hold on, hold on, how often do you come down here? And I was like, well, this is our first time. He's like, well, don't worry about that. Why don't you just take the corn and you pay me the next time you're down here? And I, um, I, I was like, really? Like, are you, are you serious? Like, you just, that, that's incredible. What's your name? He's like, my name's Bruce. I'm like, Bruce, that is amazing. I am really moved by that. That is so kind. And I know, I knew then, I know now that maybe this interaction would have been different if I had been a woman or a person of color or younger or older or didn't have my kids, but maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe this is just who Bruce is. Um, and so I had this moment where I was like, my boys are with me, and I'm like, I want to pay Bruce back right away. So I'm like, all right, we're gonna go to the car and see if we can scrounge up some change. I don't know my wallet, but maybe we can, so we go back to the car and we scrounge up, we look in the, you know, the console and the sides of the car and under everything, we find like a buck 27 and change. <laughs> Actually, my son corrected me, he's like, it was a buck 29, dad. I'm like, all right, fine. So we found a buck 29 and change and we found the checkbook in the, the console of the car. So Tucker and Jesse and I go back to Bruce and I say, look, you know, I didn't find enough money, but I did find my checkbook. Could I, could I just write you a check? Would that be okay? Sure, sure, he says. And would it be okay if I wrote it for $20 over? Because <laughs> we have other stuff we're hoping to buy. Like, I'm, I'm about to pull out my, like, my minister credentials here. Like, I'm a minister. You can totally trust me on this. I promise I'll pay you back. And he's just like, he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I wrote Bruce a check for $27 and got $20 back. And we were able to go on and buy other stuff at the farmer's market. And I just want to stop the story for a minute and tell you what was happening in my body in this interaction, which was this incredible surge of sort of warmth and energy and delight at this connection that was being made, at the possibilities of what trust um, can let loose in the world. Like I was feeling myself being called into this place of being more open-hearted and more trusting of others and delighted at what had unfolded. Uh, and I will say, we never bought corn from anyone else at the market the whole rest of the season. Maybe that was his plan. Like maybe he did this with everyone. He's like, oh, you don't have any money, no problem. And he had really loyal customers. Um, but on every trip, we would stop there and our kids knew this guy's name and we would talk with him and buy our corn. On that day, Bruce met me in this really small moment of vulnerability when I didn't have my wallet. And he said, I gotcha, no worries. 
And thinking back on that moment, I really like to imagine trust as the keystone in an arch, you know, the stone at the very top that holds the two sides together. So you have in any trust encounter, you have one side or person or thing kind of leaning in, wondering, can I trust this? And another leaning in, can I trust this? And then the keystone, trust, is what holds the thing together without collapsing. So we leaned toward one another that day. And it was powerful for me. By the same token, when we lean in or when we reach out and we don't connect or aren't supported, it can be painful and even harmful. I'm sure you've read the stories and the research from the 1980s and the 1990s about babies in orphanages. It is hard stuff to read because these are babies that didn't have much contact with other human beings um, and were often just sort of left alone, mostly isolated. And these stories focused on what happened when these babies reached out instinctively, as all children do when they're born. They reach out to be held, to be fed, to be cuddled and touched and cared for. And it's really a reaching out, asking, is this a trustworthy place? Will my needs be met? Will I be cared for? But the connections in some of these cases just weren't there, and the impact was significant. One of the articles I read said that babies' brains expect that they will experience nearly constant physical touch and care and rocking, and without it, they just don't grow. Without it, their brains and their bodies are smaller. Without it, they withdraw from the world. Without someone specifically oriented to their needs, wrote the psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott, the infant cannot find a working relation to external reality. Without someone to give satisfactory instinctual gratification, the infant cannot find his or her or their own body, nor can he or she or they develop an integrated personality. Without what psychologist Mary Ainsworth called a secure base, so if a child does not have a secure base, a reliably loving person to whom a toddler can return periodically for emotional refueling, he or she or they, will not feel free to explore. Relaxing into dependency is, paradoxically, the first step to independence. So as a baby, some of this patterning, some of the initial patterning around the question, is this a trustworthy place? Is this a safe place? That begins to be answered in the first few years of life. And truthfully, those questions of is this a safe place, is this a trustworthy place, those are questions we ask as children, as young adults, as adults, as as elders. We continue to ask those questions throughout our lives, which is one of the reasons why in these child dedication services like we just did this morning, we dedicate ourselves to the children and to their parents. We are saying, in effect, we will be your secure base, parents, When you realize you never got the how to parent manual or you feel like you've lost the how to parent manual, and it happens all of the time, we'll be here for you. We'll be here for your children. We'll be here as their teachers and mentors and their community. And it's one of the reasons why in this church we offer so many circles, these places for 10 to 12 people to come together, to journey together, so that when you reach that place like we all do, when you feel like you've lost the how to do life manual, There's a circle of people around you serving as your secure base, offering a listening and loving presence. 
It is in those moments of feeling that secure base. I know you have experienced this in our circles and other places that we often touch something larger than ourselves. We know we are held and cared for by something larger than ourselves, something that is true and something that is trustworthy. And that happens in community. So I have one more story to share with you about sources of trust. Uh, And during my sabbatical, one of the things I did every day was I walked our two and a half year old to childcare. Um, And that's not quite the right description. I was walking, he was on my shoulders, um, riding on my shoulders. And we had this routine. As soon as we'd leave the front door of our house, he would get on my shoulders, I'd pick him up and put him on my shoulders and he'd start yelling, bear hunt, bear hunt, bear hunt. And it was time to sing the bear hunt song. (laughs) Many of you know the song, I'm sure, or you know the the book. It's an old folk song. It's been turned into a book. If you don't, the essential gist of it is, like, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. It just goes on and on. And they go through, like, the river and the mucky muck and the grass and the snow and all of this kinds of stuff. And there's all of these... um, refrains for each thing they encounter where they come to like the river and it's like, can't go over it, can't go under it, gonna have to go through it. And there's some awesome sound effects, some wicked sound effects in this story too. Like the, and I would like amp it up with, with Jesse when he's on my shoulder. So like the mucky muck and the squelch and the squirch and then the going through the forest and the trip, trip. And we sang this song countless times on our walks in September and October. And what I realized as, I, as we kept singing the song is like so many children's songs and stories, there is deep wisdom in this. To really discover what it is you trust, what those deep and abiding sources of trust are in your life, you can't go over or under the big things in life. There are no workarounds. There are no shortcuts. You've got to go through it. And you have to get dirty and wet and mucky. But going through it, whatever the it is, more often than not reveals something that you can trust. Really getting into the messiness of parenting and seeing anew yourself as a eight or a nine or a 10-year-old as you try to parent in different and better ways your own eight or nine or 10-year-old, that will reveal something to you profound and powerful. Really getting into the messy heart of your relationship if you're married or partnered or just being really honest with a dear, dear friend, but I'm thinking about people who are partnered right now, and asking for what you need or being honest about what you want in your sex life, that will reveal some deep and profound sources of truth. The other thing I love about the bear hunt story is that none of these kids go through the muck or the water or the forest alone. They carry each other's stuff and they carry one another. So when our lives, your life, my life takes a turn and we find ourselves going through a loss or struggling in a divorce or in the middle of recovery and we're just going through it, not over it, not under it, just going through it. We can see that we're accompanied by loved ones or our ancestors or church members even, 
and we discover that there is something there we didn't know, something we can trust. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say, friends, is that life wants to be connected. It is in connection that the sources of trust reveal themselves. And as human beings, I believe we are meant to be deeply connected to one another, to this land, to our ancestors, to those around us. And we can trust those connections as sources of truth. It is white supremacy culture in large part that wants us to be disconnected, to be a rugged individualist, to be isolated. It is white supremacy culture that says, don't trust your body or the land or other people or people of color and their stories. Don't trust those things. White supremacy culture thrives on disconnection. And the religious life that we're inviting you into here is a deeply connected life, a life where we know one another, where we know one another's children, where we know each other's stories. And this is the work of religious community. Here, as Lauren said, we listen to our own hearts. We listen to those in our family, in our extended family, and we take in what we've learned in this larger church. So there's a lot of fake news running around right now. But you know what's not fake? Connecting with strangers, connecting with one another. You know what's not fake? Is that these connections and the sources of trust that rest there, those are available to us all of the time. They're available to you after this service in the social hall. They're available to you in the walk out to the parking lot. They're available to you in our circles. That is real and something we can trust. Amen.